great. Can everyone hear me, yeah? Everyone all right, Maggie? Everyone at the back? Wonderful. Yeah, I just want to thank everyone uh, for the opportunity today to be able to um, be here. And actually, you allowing me to be here is a fulfillment of what I'm going to talk about. So it's not that it's not every Sunday that you're the fulfillment of a sermon when you haven't even heard the sermon. But I really want to talk to you about um, the miracles of Jesus. So if you want to get your Bibles, um, Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 30 to 36. And we're going to carry on in the series of Mark. And I want to uh, focus on the theme, um, which is shepherding and discipleship. Um, so, and every believer can know the importance of being a shepherd and a disciple and the involvement that that has in your life as well. And we're going to look at this by um, looking at Christ's life and how he fulfilled his role as a shepherd and how he modelled discipleship. So I'm just going to do an introduction, then we're going to read the word of the Lord together. So in the previous scriptures of Mark chapter 6, we see a build-up to this miracle. Uh, Jesus rejected at Nazareth. Uh, Many hearing him were astonished and they were offended at him. Uh, And Jesus sent out the 12 in verses 7 to 13. um, And they went out and preached that men should repent. Uh, In Matthew's gospel that they preached things concerning the kingdom of God. And they had many success success in casting out many spirits uh, and ministered healing to the sick. Uh, And John the Baptist is uh, beheaded. And we see an interesting contrast before we get to um, Jesus' feast. Is that Herod had a feast beforehand. Uh, And we see... You know, we, Herod had a feast with his lords, and uh, we have a miraculous feast with the Lord of Lords, Jesus. And Herod's self-promoting feast brought the death of John the Baptist, uh, and the Lord's feast brought life through healings and teachings. Uh, because in, in Matthew's account and Luke's account, we see in this same passage that Jesus healed the sick as well as taught people. Um, and Herod's feast was full you know, of evil advice and rational vows. But Christ's feast was full of trustworthy and divine and good advice. And so we've now come to the scripture. So we're going to read it um, now. I'm reading from the, the King James, uh, Mark 6, 30 to 34. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him. And they ran afoot there out of all cities, and out went them, and came together unto Jesus. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much much people, and was moved with compassion towards them, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them, send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them something to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread, and give them to eat? And he said unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they said, five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all of them sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven 
and he blessed it and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided, he divided amongst them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves, were about five thousand men. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God, because isn't it amazing today that we can actually say that with such confidence that this is God's word. So verse 30, we, I, I've titled this uh, testimonials, um, sharing and reflection, because our opening verse is the report that they give in regards to all of what they have seen and done in verses 7 to 13, that they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. And I think that's just amazing, because we only see a broad statement of that, but I wonder what that looked like, you know? I wonder what that looked like in such depth. It's just amazing to think what was happening at that point in time. And I think for us, you know, how they came back to Christ, um, this is how we should view our ministries and what we do and our actions and our behaviours. Coming back to Christ and asking and reflecting on if we conducted ourselves in the right way and are there any improvements that we can make. And the disciples, you know, they shared all of what they saw. And I love the word, it says all, everything. They didn't leave anything out. And I think uh, this is an act of discipleship that they wanted to learn because Jesus never asked them specifically that you must give me all feedback. You never see that. But he just gave them instruction on what to do. You know, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. He never actually said... Um, please tell me everything, but they wanted to learn. So I see the um, initiative of the disciples that they just wanted to come to Christ, who is the, the master rabbi, he's the teacher, isn't he? And we're just his students, and they wanted to come to him for that wise counsel. And I think the responsibility for us, um, just from this one verse I was getting, is that when we're in that position of leadership or ministry, is are we doing it right? So I'm an evangelist away from church evangelism on a Thursday I've got my own ministry and you know are we doing it right you know are we representing Christ well and asking the Lord for that awareness like the disciples did come back for that that feedback and I love the words you know um winsome are we operating in a winsome Christ-like manner and my 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 nan you know she uh, created an album worship album called winsome worship and um are we, are we like that? Are we graceful? Are we being salt and light to people? Um, and as the disciples went to the word of God that came flesh, you know, we have the privilege of having the word of God for our feedback now, you know. But also we can go to Christ as well. We have the privilege of the, the full word that the disciples didn't have, except for the Old Testament at the time. And so we must remain teachable. And I think... That's so important. We can't think that we know it all. Uh, because God's, God's too big to understand in our finite mind. Even his word is so extensive and deep and has so many layers. Uh, we must remain teachable. So Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counsellors, there is safety. And Christ is the abun- um, wonderful counsellor of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Who is more than abundant to provide them with safe edifying guidance and I think that's amazing today we can trust that Christ is still here and can counsel us in areas of our life 
And I think reflection, um, part of uh, this one verse, is can be difficult for us. You know, we we have life, we have uh, work commitments, and and various other things. But it's how can we be intentional and reflecting on what we've done in that day. And that leads us into verse 31 and 32. I've called that, you know, rest and privacy. That Jesus said, come apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure, so much to eat. And you see the shepherding and, and care of Christ is that John's just had his head taken off. He's been beheaded. And straight away, he nurtures them and takes them away from that, that danger. But also the importance of bringing in you know, his exhausted disciples. It doesn't say they were tired, but if they have just been, you know, verses uh, earlier that I was talking about, that they were casting out demons and, and healing the sick, you can imagine it's just a day of just amazing miracles. So Jesus sees, sees the importance of bringing them in to that place of rest after their triumphant journey. And I think we shouldn't be surprised if God is calling us to a place of rest as well in certain seasons of our life. As Christ saw that need for them to rest, do we see the need for ourselves um, to rest for ourselves when the Spirit prompts us and leads us? And God has been leading me recently to a place of cutting back on evangelism days with my specific ministry to rest and to realign and to focus on other areas of my life. And you're not going to get to that place of knowing what to cut off if you don't have that time of rest and privacy with the Lord. And the, the Psalm 46, you know, verse 10, that, that classic psalm that we, we, we all know, that be still and know that I am God, is a clear scriptural reminder for us to take rest and be still. And when you, take, when you look into the Hebrew, for still it means to, one of the definitions is to withdraw yourself, you know, take yourself away out of the world you know, out of the situation you're in, realign yourself. And I love that, to withdraw yourself. And we see Christ set that example anyway. You know, Mark 1.35, um, he prays the first private prayer, I believe, in, in this gospel, which is, um, and in the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and prayed. You know, that's the first um, example of Christ resting and privately praying. And again, after um, later on, as the, um, he walks on the sea, you know, he prays again for a second time. If Christ is our good shepherd, we should, who modelled rest, we need to be mindful of that as well. So I'd encourage the church, if there's a place where you're not finding that rest, to, to, to make time for that. And um, ask God, uh, the Spirit's leading on, on, on that as well. So, Verses 33, I, I really saw that there was a desire for spiritual food and spiritual uh, nourishment in the things of God that was not met in Israel's current leaders at the time. And um, we actually see that, you know, the way they go ahead of Jesus, it says, and that shows uh, an enthusiasm, I believe, that they wanted to be taught. They were determined to go ahead of him. You know, they're really enthusiastic. But when I was looking into that, it also revealed that they weren't just excited to see Jesus. It revealed something deeper, that it revealed a neglect that they had in their life, the spiritual things of God. The shepherds at the time weren't doing their job. 
and then they saw Christ and they was, they're spiritually impoverished and birthing out of them at this time is this excitement to want to be taught. And we see in Ezekiel chapter 34, I'd really encourage you to, to read that all when you get, when you get back. Um, but it's a fantastic prophecy um, regarding uh, the first 10 verses is a rebuke against Israel at the time. Uh, no, sorry, against the shepherds of Israel at the time. And Israel then was abandoned by unfaithful leaders, neglecting their ministerial responsibility. So God has committed himself to be shepherd of the flock. So the first 10 verses are talking about God rebuking them. You know, you're not being the shepherd to my people. And then 10 onwards to the rest of the chapter talks about how God is going to sort that out. So I want to read that for us, Ezekiel chapter 34. Apologies, one second. There we are. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, you shepherds of Israel, you have been clothed, feeding yourselves. Should not you shepherds be feeding the sheep? You eat of the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and great harshness you have ruled over them. And the reason why I wanted to, I feel like a, to contrast that with the Pharisees and Herod, that they're the shepherds that are responsible at that time, the Pharisees included specifically, they should have been shepherding God's people. And we see that Mark is introducing to us these false shepherds at that specific time. The religious leaders of Pharisees and the political leader Herod. And neither of these are helping and caring for the flock. They've destroyed it. They've added commandments of men, which they don't even uphold themselves. And hypocrites, we see Jesus talk about them. And Jesus provides that alternative leadership that they've, they, they've noticed. That's why they're so excited and went in front of them. They went ahead of them. They saw that this, uh, this, this Jesus was something that the people at the time were not giving. And that show, shows us how, why they were so insistent on that. And so this segment of scripture, I wouldn't say is prophetic specifically for um, Herod or the Pharisees, but it fits really nicely because Jesus says in Matthew 23, 5, all their works are to be done um, to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, enlarge the border of their garments and all their works, um, and they love the uppermost rooms at the feasts and the chief seats of the synagogue. And Ezekiel verses... Um, chapter 34 verses 1 and 2 you know it says you've been feeding yourselves and you've been clothing yourselves with the wool and you're not feeding the sheep you're not doing the the job that I've instructed you to do and Jesus again says you've not strengthened um, Ezekiel sorry verses 4 says you've not strengthened the weak and Jesus has something to say about the Pharisees woe unto you Matthew 23 14 Scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you devour widows' houses 
and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. And it's, when you read this and you compare it, it's like, wow, they're not being the people that God has called them to be. You're not feeding the people. So out of this, no wonder they're so excited to see Jesus. That there's this alternate leadership coming into the, the town and they're excited to learn about the things of God. And that leads me again into the next verse. That, that desire that they had is actually now met in Christ the Good Shepherd. And God's heart in the Old Testament, well, God's heart completely, is that he wants people to be, have a shepherd over their life. You know, we're going to look into the second half of Ezekiel 34, where God does something about um, the, the false shepherds at the time. But Numbers 27, you know, God is talking with Moses, and he's saying to Moses, Numbers 27, 15 to 18, all these verses I'm going to say from the rest of the sermon is from the ESV. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that has no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Isaiah 40, 11. You know, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart, gently leading those that have young. But before I uh, unpack that, sorry. Obviously Moses was the shepherd to Israel and God um, said that Joshua, you are to be the, the successor. You have to carry on that role of shepherding. So we even see it way back in the Old Testament. And in this chapter of Isaiah verse 40, it's interesting that this is the same prophecy about John the Baptist crying in the wilderness. And then two segments later you see Christ and his tender love that he's going to look after his flock like a shepherd and carry those close to his heart. And you know, what did Jesus do? He said, don't let the little ones, um, do not suffer the little ones to come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He, he, carried the gent he gently leads those that have young, and Christ did that. He had very high regard for children, very high regard for children, and even went to say that they are like the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's powerful. And so John actually came first um, physically, well, Christ, you know, we, we know Christ pre, you know, uh, was crucified before the foundations of the earth and he already pre-existed. But um, John came first physically and then Christ came physically second, well, incarnated second. But John came first prophetically as well and then John came, um, Christ came second in the prophecy. So it's interesting to start how you see Christ coming second in the prophecy of Isaiah 40. And John came first, and that's what happened in the, in the physical. Um, so some extra scriptures for you to write down for your own time to see God's heart for a shepherd, because I could... Um, yeah, it's Micah chapter 5, Zechariah chapter 10, and Zechariah chapter 13. They're amazing verses of God showing you he wants his people with his shepherd. And John 10, 11, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, I lay my life down for the sheep. What was crazy, what happened was that there was division amongst the Jews and he was accused of um, being mad 
and even having a demon for saying those, you know, the speech of John 10. But how could, how could they not notice what Jesus was trying to say? Because if you was a Jew at that time, you should have been thinking of all these Old Testament scriptures and you would have been thinking, man, this man might be the Messiah. How did you miss it? How did you not read all the ones I've given here and they knew the, well, they allegedly knew the Old Testament very well. Well, I think that leads me back onto my other point of remaining teachable because he was accused of being mad. But if they truly understood the significance of what he said, they would have correlated the two together and would have probably fell on their knees and said, you know, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And praise God, that's what's going to come soon. The Jews are going to say that soon. They're going to say that. Praise the Lord. They're going to say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And there's going to be weeping and wailing on him who they pierced. And they'll be filled with sorrow and great mourning. And I think that's a beautiful thing that they're going to, they're going to see it at some point. But keep praying for the Jews um, that they would know their Messiah. But that shows like a blindness again uh, to the word of God. They just didn't get it. They said they'd rather say that he was mad uh, than yeah, cross-reference the Old Testament at that time. So God's, uh, for us then, God's desire still hasn't changed to have a shepherd over his people now in the new covenant. It's not any different. You know, are we teaching the right things about God? You know, are I our core doctrines, you know, like the layer one, brother. Thank you very much for that. That was really helpful. Layer one doctrines, you know, are they true? Are they right? And we shouldn't uh, even consider um, compromising on them or, or, or being teachable about those. They should be firm and fixed and rigid, like the core facets of the faith. But a pastor, in my opinion, is one of the toughest mantles to be placed upon the brethren. You know, so keep praying for Pastor Graham. It's a, a massive responsibility. But we're not exempt, though, church, even though we're not pastors. We're not exempt because uh, we are shepherds over our smaller contexts, is what I felt the Lord was saying when I was studying this. Like, you're not exempt from the role of a shepherd. You know, a study group. Um, you're the shepherd. Your friendships, you know, you're a shepherd over that spiritually weak brother or sister. The people we're discipling. You're still called to be a shepherd in some way. Praise the Lord. Verse 35. Um, dedicated teachers and students, and Dad, you'll appreciate this one, mate. Um, so uh, the day was far spent, you know. Jesus spent the whole day teaching. That's, that's incredible. You know, shepherds need to be willing for teach, to teach for long durations. And likewise, you know, the sheep must be eager to learn and be dedicated as well to listen to those, you know, the duration of that preaching and teaching. And the reason why I said that, you would appreciate this, is because um, when I was about eight years old, I went to a guy called Jacob Prash, who is... Uh, Moriel Ministries, I believe, uh, Messianic Jew, and I fell asleep during it. But my granddad, bless him, he was, this, he was shepherding me, keeping me asleep 
or listening to this sermon that was going on for like two hours minimum. It was at least a two to four hour um, Bible study. And it's like, he was willing to teach for four hours. But my granddad, yeah, bless him. He didn't wake me up either. And apparently he said you were snoring all the way through that. But he just, you know, carried on listening to the word of God, not being distracted by his grandson snoring, which is funny. Um, But yeah, so, you know, that's my only example of being in a, a, you know, the context like that of someone really willing to teach and he's got the gift of teaching and he's doing it, um, yeah, he's doing what God's gifted him to do, which is to teach. So I'll be eager to, you know, listen to these um, sermons that, that can be a bit longer than 45 minutes, maybe. But verse 39, you know, uh, when uh, lying down in green pastures. Bear with me one second. Yep, so, so the second half of Ezekiel 34 then, it shows us um, amazingly how it's, it contrasts again similarly. I wouldn't say it's prophetic fulfillment of Christ here in the feeding of the 5,000, but it's super relevant um, in, in this. So 14 to 16. So this is the second half of the scripture where God's going to do something about the, the false shepherds. So I'll feed them, uh, uh, Ezekiel 34, uh, 14 to 16. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on the rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek that which was lost and what did Jesus say? I come to seek and save that which was lost. And bring again that which is driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. Praise the Lord. So this shows us here, so verse 39, when Jesus said, he commanded them to make them all sit down by companies upon the green grass. It seems super relevant here, Ezekiel 34. But people don't, uh, some scholars don't believe that this is a direct fulfillment in uh, this specific miracle. Because Ezekiel 34's broader context is when Christ is going to reign literally for a physical 1,000 years. And I can't wait for that. It's going to be amazing. So, but we do see similarities of how Christ in this particular moment definitely ticks the boxes of what the Lord spoke through Ezekiel on the second uh, part of that chapter. And cause them to lie down, you know, in green pastures. And Psalm 23, verses 1 to 2, you know, the, again, another classic Classic psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And again, we see that amazing similarity of what David you know, sung. And then when Jesus makes him sit down in the, in the green grass. And I think Jesus shows that fullest expression of his compassion is that he provided more than just something physical to eat. It was the spiritual needs of the people. And I think what, what made me um, kind of smile a little bit and laugh, I was like, why does Mark, what, 
tried to remind us that grass is green. You know, he made them sit down upon the green grass. Um, but if you look in the Greek, it can mean pale yellow. But I did a quick Google search just to double check, you know. And there's plenty of green pastures in Israel. And it just made, it's just interesting to think why, why Mark wanted to remind us that grass is green. And with Psalm 22 being prophetic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know that that's definitely talking about the Lord on the cross. Could, I'm not saying it is, I'm open to be taught. Could Psalm you know, 23, um, Mark is thinking of um, Psalm 23 here as he writes it down. Possibly, possibly, who knows. So Jesus sets a standard for discipleship which is beautiful. So verses 37 to 44. Um, yeah, Jesus does an amazing thing here, which I had to read it over and over again, like four or five times, and something clicked. It was great. Um, and he wanted to include the disciples in this miracle instead of him doing it all himself. You know, He wanted them to be part of it. Verse 37, why don't you, you give them something to eat? Verse 38, go and see how many loaves you've got. Verse, 30, uh, verse 41, he gave the di- disciples the baskets to distribute. You know, he wanted them to be involved in it. But we can see that today is what have you got that God wants to use? What have you got? We can ask ourselves the same question. Verse 37, in today's context, God is saying, you give them something to eat spiritually. If you're spiritually more mature than that person, bless them with something. You give them something to eat. You go do something. Verse 38, go and see how many loaves you have. If you don't know what your gifts are, go and see the Father and ask him. <laughs> ask him where, you, where he wants you to be. Yeah, God freely distributes the gifts according to his will. So go and see him. How can I be used? You know, and we can ask ourselves those same questions in the same, same way. You know, what have you got that God wants to work with? But don't compare yourself, church, because I find sometimes people, you know, I wish I was like, you know, Graham, or I wish I was a pastor, or, you know, I wish I was an evangelist, looking up to like, yeah, it's great, all these amazing giants of the faith, you know, and they're amazing. There's no doubt about it. But we've got the same Holy Spirit living within, you know, it's no different. You know, we have the exact same spirit that, you know, the, the greats, the, the giants of the faith, if you will, have. But don't compare yourself. You've got your own journey, your own walk, and embrace, like, the gifts that God has given you and just run with it. Um, so to conclude then, church, thank you for your, your patience, appreciate it. So we look at how, so hopefully I've helped you um, to see how Christ has fulfilled uh, his role as a shepherd and how he modelled discipleship to the twelve. And so I've got seven points for us to hopefully take away like, on why, um, what discipleship actually involves. Well, it involves you. It actually requires you to be involved, <laughs> you know. Um, and actually be be open be expectant to be used you know um so it involves you um so it also involves sharing 
um, reflecting and being vulnerable to one another. Discipleship involves we must remain teachable. Discipleship involves that we ensure that we are resting accordingly. That's a big one. That's a big one as well. Discipleship involves having a desire to grow spiritually. Discipleship involves being a dedicated student or teacher of the word. Discipleship involves encouraging, encouraging others to get involved while you take a stand back. It's like Jesus did. And so I just want to invite um, people that may be watching or um, haven't made a commitment to Christ. I'm always conscious of you know, inviting someone to, to believe on the Lord. So Isaiah 53, 6 says, We've all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed for you were like straying sheep for you were straying like sheep, sorry, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So I just want to encourage anyone that is watching that Christ bore on himself all your sins. And as you've turned to your own way and you've gone astray, God wants you to do the exact same, to repent and to turn around and believe on him. Because you can't save yourself. Jesus says, unrighteousness cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's only by faith and trust in Christ alone and what he's done for us on that tree. Like 1 Peter says, he bore your sin on the tree. And your wounds of sin will be healed. I believe this is spiritual, 1 Peter 2. By his wounds, your sin has been healed. It's been washed away. And you were straying like sheep, but God wants you to return to the chief shepherd and overseer of your soul. And I just want to pray to finish. Thank you. Thank you for Father, Lord, we just... Uh, we just bless you and praise you for this uh, privilege today, Lord, to, to hopefully uh, bless uh, somebody here, God, with your word. But Father, we pray that you could enlighten us and teach us to be um, better disciples, God, and shepherds of the people you've put in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we have here today, we turned unto you, the shepherd and overseer of our souls. So Lord, we thank you for the gift of salvation and that we all here today have that wonderful honour of calling you uh, Lord and Saviour. So we pray, uh, guide us this week, Lord, uh, with this word that we can reach out to people uh, and disciple them, Lord, because you don't call us to make converts, you call us to make disciples. So we pray that you would just put people in our path that we may... Um, need to rekindle a relationship with and to encourage that discipleship growth so i pray you show people now to us god uh, in our, all of our individual lives who need us to come alongside them and to be the shepherd of their life but ultimately lord we're guiding them and directing them to you the chief shepherd of our souls and we ask uh, you bless us uh, in all of our individual walks and ministries that we have and we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.